Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, coming to you live from Las Vegas Summer League. Uh, he, joining me, as usual, my co-host, Eric Kareen. Uh, I know we had said that this probably wouldn't be the case. I'd find a guest here, but I lined up prominent guests after prominent guests. Eric just couldn't go a week without talking to me, without talking to you, the listener. Uh, Eric, how's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going all right. My cat is on a walkabout uh, in my house or in my apartment uh, or outside of my apartment, but in the house in which my apartment is in. So she's got me nervous. Uh, I might have to at some point run and scoop her up if she decides to come back for food. Uh, watching some Milos Raonic versus Roger Federer uh, Wimbledon action. It's not looking good for the Canadian early on. Oh, no. Uh no, he's down a break in the first set. Uh, Federer looks on point early on. Speaking of that tournament, uh, what is the tournament? Wimbledon, the Wimbledon, Wimbledon Championship. That's what it is. Okay. Um, I was on the phone the other day with um, a coach, a basketball coach from Luxembourg. And who, oh, yeah. Who was the um, – he coached Alfonso McKinney, the newest Raptor, uh, two years ago. Yeah. McKinney was playing in the Luxembourg Second League. Uh, and during our phone call, I guess Luxembourg's top tennis player, whoever that is, was up against Nadal, and it was uh, not a not a friendly matchup for the Luxembourg guy from the Luxembourgian. Yeah, L- Luxemburger. Yeah, Luxemburger sounds good. Yeah, let's roll sounds, with that. Sounds delicious, actually. Yeah, I, I don't like smoked salmon very much, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how that would go on a burger, but yeah. I had one of the best burgers of my life in Vegas. I saw your picture. Yeah, I broke my rule of no food, no food pictures. I went. Yeah, to... that's. Uh, what what else are you supposed to take pictures of? I don't know basketball men's. Eh. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so I'm here in Vegas where things have been quite busy. Um, you know, usually you come down and you've done summer league before. Um, yeah. You know, it can be. I did it last year, and because Canada was playing in the Olympic qualifying tournament in the Philippines at the same time, I was up at like 3 in the morning every night um, to cover those games. This time I thought I'd come down and be a little uh, slower paced. Uh, maybe I'd actually, you know, get to enjoy myself. Uh, but the <laughs> Raptors, everything, the Raptors have just thrown chaos at us the entire time that I've yeah. been here. So I got here Friday, the whole day in the gym. Um, by Saturday... The Raptors were making trades. They were making sign-in trades. They were waving guys with the stretch provision. All my time has gone to explaining, like, salary cap minutia and letting people know that C.J. Miles is a terrific fit. Um, Eric, it's been a crazy couple of days. We got a lot. I guess we have a lot to cover. When we talked last, the Raptors had signed Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka to three-year deals. They had watched P.J. Tucker and Patrick Patterson go. Uh, Let's quickly go through what they've done in the time since. And we'll start with the trade of Damari Carroll. The Raptors paid a 2018 first-round pick, and the 2018 second-round pick that originally belongs to either the Magic or the Lakers that they got for Jeff Weltman, um, to the Brooklyn Nets to take on Damari Carroll. They took back Justin Hamilton in the process, and they'll waive him with the stretch provision for cap reasons. Um, This is essentially, they shed... Uh, once the stretch provision is taken into account, they shed 13.8 million off the books this year, uh, 14.2 million off the books 
for next year, and they give up two picks to do it. Your thoughts on this move, Eric? Uh, it was a lot. It, it cost them – I mean, we don't have much to compare it to right now, right? Because there haven't been those salary dump trade. Am I missing an obvious salary dump trade? Well, that, the I, Lakers had to pay pay in the form of D'Angelo Russell to get out from Mozgov. Yes. Um, but they also had their own reason to want to get rid of D'Angelo Russell because of, you know, who they were going to draft, et cetera. And then they were going to um, throw big money at Contavious paid well Pope. 18 good for million. Him. Yeah. Um, it seems to me like they paid a, a, a fairly high price to do it. Not that that's not the going rate, but, you know, there was, that doesn't seem like a discount price, uh, to me. Uh, I, you know, I think when we talked, we, we thought it was unlikely that Carroll would move, uh, because of just the needs on this team. And, and we'll, well get and, into those in a bit. And, and I still because, don't think. And because Masai Ujiri does not, Masai Ujiri does not strike me as the type of guy, you wrote the other day how he's a scout at heart. Um, he does not strike yeah. me as the type of guy who likes to give up multiple assets. Um, and in the process, you know, multiple flyers and multiple pieces that you can fill out a roster with inexpensively um, just to get rid of a player who might have a use for you still. Yeah, if I were to bet, and we haven't heard him talk uh, about the deal, but I, I'm I'm guessing this trade sort of it got a, a bit of his soul. Like it, it didn't, it probably didn't sit right with him. He knows why he has to do it, obviously. Uh, and it's a decision that makes sense in the scheme of where they are. Uh, but I, I think, you know, they traded two seconds for Tucker last year. I'd do that trade again, but uh, now you're out another second, which I guess you can look at as a free second since it came at the price of a non-player, uh, and a first. And Masai Ujiri, like, you know, part of the reason the Raptors are able to make this trade is because they've had all these picks. They haven't really sacrificed picks up until now. Um, and they have young players who they think can come in and contribute. But still, you know, I think all things being equal, he'd rather have, uh, you know, certainly kept one of those picks. But uh, Yeah, he's now dealt five picks since the trade deadline. Sorry? He's now dealt five picks since the, yeah, the trade deadline. Uh, First for Ross, the two seconds for uh, Tucker, and then the two picks here. Uh, so that's, you know, including the one that you got, that's a net loss of four picks since the trade deadline. And uh, that's that's got to be tough for him and for the Raptors, and uh, it's going to, uh, by necessity, show how well he's done. This is what I wrote after the Damari Carroll trade. It's going to show how well he's done as a drafter up until this point because it's going to put pressure on those guys to produce. Yeah, so we're going to talk about how the roster looks and who's going to be in a position to produce. Uh, the Raptors chased this Damari Carroll deal with another one though, that we should talk about first. Um, originally reported as a sign-and-trade, uh, I did some digging here in Vegas, and it is not actually going to be a sign-and-trade. Uh, the Raptors will trade Corey Joseph to the Indiana Pacers for some nominal return, whether it's the draft rights to someone, cash, or... Tomislav Zabzic. Zubic. Yeah, yeah. Um, the draft rights to someone, a little bit of cash, or some future second-round pick. Um, if they could get an actual second-round pick out of it, great to restock the, the draft cash a little bit. Um, and then... They will sign C.J. Miles on a three-year, $25 million deal. The third year will be a player option. Um, and they will do so using the mid-level exception. 
in either case here, um, not to get too nitty gritty with the cap stuff, um, had the Raptors acquired CJ Miles in a sign and trade as originally reported, they would have triggered the hard cap at 125.266 million. Um, because once you acquire someone in a sign and trade, you're hard capped. Uh, they have avoided that, but by using the full, the big mid level on CJ Miles, then, uh, they trigger it anyway. So the net difference here, uh, they no longer have their mid-level exception to give out, but trading Corey Joseph for nothing creates a $7.7 million trade exception. They also uh, created an $11.8 million trade exception in the Damari Carroll deal, uh, and they could use either of those to acquire someone via sign-and-trade. Uh, maybe you have to give up a little something to, to grease the wheels on that, but if you're looking at guys like Ursan Ilyasova, who um, I know you have listed him a couple times as a potential target, there's confusion as to whether Atlanta still owns his rights and if he's sign-and-trade eligible. But a guy like that, a guy like Tabo, a guy like maybe Aaron Aflalo, um, you see these these kind of guys, and it's just as likely, maybe maybe 5% less likely, that the Raptors could still get in the mix for the same group of guys. Um, it's just some accounting. But the general takeaway here, Corey Joseph for CJ Miles. Corey Joseph out, CJ Miles in. Your thoughts? Uh, makes perfect sense given how the roster looked, uh, I mean, before the Carroll trade and heading in and after the Carroll trade. Uh, you know, again, this is as much about DeLon Wright as it's about the other guys, uh, that DeLon Wright and Fred Van Vliet to a lesser extent, but Wright was certainly very intriguing last year. Uh, we'll see how his shot comes along. Uh, how he can develop uh, when teams play off him, which I think will be the first test uh, as a backup point guard. Uh, but this was a team that was heavy in point guards, heavy in centers, and low in wings and flexible wings and three-point shooting. So I think Miles is a, a very good fit given the options they have. Uh, you know, he's... He takes and makes covered threes, uh, which is big. You don't need to create quite as much, which could help the second unit, which could help when Lowry's not on, obviously. He's not going to create for himself. That's not what fans should expect from him. Uh, but he, he is. He's a, he's a lovely fit. Whether he starts or comes off the bench will remain to be seen. But, you know, maybe, you know, you look toward the rotation and you've got a bench lineup or a quote-unquote bench lineup uh, that's, you know, with Kyle on the bench, with Kyle and Miles maybe forming the heart of it, and, you know, you surround Kyle with some three-point shooters, which they probably still don't have enough of but are going to try to create some. Uh, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice move, uh, given the options they have. Uh, my biggest – I'd like to know where you stand on this. My biggest concern right now sort of – not necessarily power forward specifically, but just like, you know, the loss of P.J. Tucker defensively, not that you can just find another P.J. Tucker, but they don't have that guy unless uh, O.G. Ananobi is ready right away and capable right away uh, who can defend those bigger wings. Uh, uh, C.J. Miles isn't quite that guy. Yeah, he's definitely not that. C.J. Miles probably grades out as a passable defender, 
at best. Uh, he's 6'6", 220. He, he has started to play um, Indiana small ball lineups the last two years. Whether you want to call Miles the nominal power forward, Paul George the nominal power forward, um, they both played the forward spots in smaller lineups that were pretty effective. He can do that for, for stretches for you. Um, he's probably actually best off defending against bigger guys, even though he's not that big, because he doesn't have um, quite the defensive chops for the quicker guys. Um, you mentioned the, uh, I'll get back to your point about power forward and the PJ Tucker type in a sec. You mentioned the shooting, just a couple notes on that. Um, CJ Miles ranked in the 25th percentile in terms of average openness on his shots. So not only did he shoot a ton of shots, shoot an enormous percentage, he was the second most efficient spot up shooter in basketball next to Kyle Korver. Um, Trey Burke was in there too, but Trey Burke didn't have very many attempts. Um, so not only was he that efficient on spot ups, uh, he also wasn't that open very often. Uh, and you look at kind of the on off with Indiana spacing when he was out there, he really helped create room for others. So I think you look at the type of shots that Damari Carroll and Patrick Patterson got, uh, both of those players took a lot more open threes than CJ Miles did last year. Um, so you see Miles, if he fits in the same way that Ross and Carroll and even Patterson a little bit fit into the Raptors offense. Um, you know, he's going to have this quick trigger and he's going to be having a little bit more breathing room uh, on these shots, theoretically. Uh, either that or uh, his gravitational pull is going to open up things even more for Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. So offensively, pretty the Jason Capono theory. Pardon me? <laughs> the Jason Capono theory. Yeah, except CJ Miles can actually hit his threes. He'll actually take a three, man. Yeah, yeah, he won't dr- take one dribble in and shoot that elbow floater jumper. Um, so yeah, it, it's a great fit offensively. Um, he brings an obvious need at shooting and, and he can't do it himself, but, uh, I think you're writing in the process of writing about how they're looking for internal development from the three point line. But yeah, defensively, there are still holes here. OG Ananobi, you know, still isn't doing contact stuff. So how, how much can they project him in and how far away is he? Um, they signed Alfonso McKinney, who I mentioned off the top, a guy they're really high on and I'll write about probably next week. Um, but his, you know, he is, he's played power forward for the last two years of his career and he has the body for it, but the Raptors want him to play the wing a little bit more and defense, you know, he's solid, but he's not a, a lockdown guy. And, and Ananobi, you know, might be a lockdown guy, but he's also a rookie. And then you have, yeah. you know, Miles Powell and DeRozan is a very thin win, wing rotation. So the Raptors are somehow at the same time very big because they have five players who are best off playing center. And then they're also very small because they have, you know, Siakam's the only one who you would probably say his best position is power forward right now. So I'm with you. There's a bit of a hole there. So if they're going to continue shopping from here, um, and, and we don't know that's the case, they have these two trade exceptions to use. They have a little bit of wiggle room underneath the tax apron. Um, right now it stands, I think, they at $4.5 million below the tax apron based on some assumptions about unlikely bonuses and the like. Um, they could add a piece. They could trade someone to open up even more space. Uh, maybe Lucas Noguera has some value, although everyone in Vegas uh, speaks so, so highly. Lucas Noguera is basically a one-man welcome orientation committee here. Um, you talk to any of the new guys on the team, and it's like, yeah, Bebe grabbed me, and, you know, he helped explain this to me. He made sure I was doing okay. Um, so maybe you can't trade Bebe. <laughs> um, he's but, the human culture reset. He's the human what? Culture reset. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you look at all these things, and, and maybe there's a move to come. But what I keep coming back to, and, and fans aren't going to want to hear this probably, and I don't want to hear it because it sucks from a interest perspective, and it probably makes the team a little worse right now. Um, the Raptors are 
either just above the tax line or just below the tax line, depending on the assumptions that you use about um, some of their contracts. Now, the Raptors are fine with paying the tax, and they've said this, and you know how deep they'll go into the tax is a matter of some speculation. But now that they've created this three-year window, there's an incentive to stay out of the tax if you're already close to it. Because the NBA's collective bargaining agreement charges what's called the repeater tax if you're in the tax three out of any four years. So if you want the Raptors to be a tax team um, for this entire Lowry, DeRozan, Ibaka window, by the third year, they're going to be really restricted in terms of uh, financial penalties for being in the tax and uh, the way you can build your roster. So maybe the Raptors approach this and they stay below the tax this year uh, so that they have the option to go into it the next two years without fear of these extra penalties um, this is probably too um, deep into. This is probably too inside the CBA for anyone to really care about. Yeah, but the, like if you do that, there's a risk. You know, you're, you know, Lowry's 31. Do do you want to save that bullet for what he's, you know, in his 32? Well, he'll turn 32, but his 32 and 33 year old seasons. It's it's not an easy question. No, especially and it'll, probably, it, it'll probably depend on what's available to yeah. them. At, at the time. And and it like especially if you consider as some do 2019-20, you know, that might be a teardown year. That might be these guys are still going to be like those three players are still going to be in their prime probably on the, toward the back end of it at that point but uh, and on expiring contracts which are going to have a lot more value in the new collective bargaining agreement now. Um so yeah, 2019-20 could be a teardown year too where they don't worry about the tax. So um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they play this. And yeah, I think to your point, you know, it'll depend who's available. And I, I wanted to transition to asking you, you know, is there anyone available right now that you look at and you see as a potential fit, whether it's filling the shooting need, the defensive need, just getting another damn power forward on the roster so they don't have to, yeah. you know, commit to playing so small or playing Bruno or, or what have you? Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned how restricted they are. Um so it's a complicated thing. Like the the names that I've mentioned, specifically Ilyasova, like I still like, but it's functionally going to be difficult for them to uh, to get to get a player like that. Not impossible, but difficult. And the thing I think that you know they do have these trade exceptions, but they are lacking mid level salaries now that you can throw in a trade. Not the mid level exception, but those sort of in between salaries. And you, and you remember Messiah Jerry talking about, uh, about it when the Terrence Ross signing happened, the very controversial Terrence Ross signing, which admittedly I, you know, was surprised at as well. Um, it's important to have those sorts of pieces, you know, the eight, the 10, the 12s, uh, on, on the books to be able to make those deals. Now you've got them to an extent with the exceptions, but that is not, you know, necessarily the most efficient way to build a roster could, you know, depending what the hard cap situation is, could send you like spiraling deep into the tax. So uh, you probably are more into the bargain basement scene than I am. I haven't looked at it. And it's probably a situation in which Masai waits the market out now. That would be my best guess. Yeah, I would think so. And the Raptors are a little handcuffed. Also, because, you know, they have to wait for the Otto Porter physical to happen, which frees up Brooklyn's cap space, which makes the Damari Carroll trade possible, which makes the Corey Joseph trade possible, which makes the CJ Miles signing possible. Um, they might not want to have all these dominoes waiting to, to fall over 
all at once. Uh, I'm sure there are conversations going on. Masai has been busy in the shadows here in Vegas. I've seen him talking to other executives a couple of times and really, really regret not making a note publicly uh, when I saw him talking to Billy King <laughs> on Saturday. Um, yeah. I walked right past their conversation and was worried I had interrupted it by walking somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. And You could have ruined a trade. You I could have... have ruined a trade. I could have saved – no, I could have saved them two draft picks. Um, by the yeah. way, that's another thing with the trade exceptions – so the trade exceptions can't be combined with a player. You can structure a deal so that it's, it's what's called the non-simultaneous trade where, you know, you send Bebe out in one trade and then you acquire a player into the trade exception in another trade or whatever. Um, but you can't combine them and you can't combine them with players, which means that, you know, a lot of times the trade exception is used and the draft pick is what goes back for a player and the Raptors, you know, are a little fit on those now. So... It's uh, it's an interesting spot they're in. Yeah, in, in terms of bargain basement. As we keep saying, uh, this is the price for playing three, paying three very good players their market value. Yeah. Like, that's that's what happens. Um, yeah, so they're in a weird spot. In terms of the bargain basement, I mean, we could go over the names, but so much of this right now, even if the Raptors were ready to strike right now, we can look at names and say, yeah, that would be a good fit. And there are there are lots of them. There's there's Tabo, who I would really like uh, on this roster. Um, you had mentioned Ilyasova before. Some people like Aaron Aflalo, even though his defense has fallen off and he's in, into his 30s now. Um, Luke Mabamute is out there. Jonas Urebko, Nikola Mirotic. There are some, Michael Green, by the way, guys, I know a lot of people ask about him. Probably, I can't imagine a scenario where the Raptors can fit in uh, a price that Memphis wouldn't match, even if that relationship has, um, you know, gone, yeah, gone south a little bit. Pardon me? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, no. like they just don't have the money to, like, is Memphis really going to walk away from five a year or whatever it is? No. Like, that's it's not going to happen. He's too valuable of a piece. You keep him, have him be miserable and trade him for something. That's exactly. that price. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, so, so what you run into is not only, you know, can these guys get more money from someone else, from teams that have their full mid-level or still have their rights or whatever, um, but it's hard to just say, you know, from outside, and I guess this is the job, but uh, it's hard to just be like, yeah, Tabo should take a discount and sign a one-year deal with the Raptors like Sullinger and Biombo and Scola did um, because he's a good fit and it would be a good culture thing. And um, it's easy to say that, but a lot of this at this this part of the market comes down to who you can convince to come play for you either on a one-year deal or on a cheap multi-year deal or whatever and um, Masai Ujiri has proven pretty effective at that in the past he's done obviously the Sullinger one didn't work out but if you look back at some of his other signings in this price range um, Biombo worked out Scola while he eventually lost his utility as a starter um, in terms of you know what they got for three million dollars out of him was great Very- uh, Tyler Hansbrough before that was a really productive piece on, on a two-year, like $5 million deal. Um, so Ujiri's batted well in this range. So I don't doubt that if they decide they, they'll be a tax team, uh, that they can land someone who'll be a useful piece. But they're also, you know, they like Bruno and they like OG and they like Alfonso McKinney. So they might not feel that, that kind of urgency. It's going to have to probably be the like, they're not going to spend up to the tax apron just to do it. Yeah, I think the market, like I said, the market's going to determine it for them. They're not going to be super aggressive in uh, in chasing that guy because they want to see. I, I I know when OG is available to play and healthy, they don't want a situation where he's you know sitting out 
years or, or spending a lot of time in the D League unless he proves he needs it. Like they really think they've got a, a piece there that can contribute sooner rather than later, at least in a few aspects of the game. Uh, so for, I mean, for that reason, you mentioned Bruno. It's totally fair to be skeptical of Bruno. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse was on the low post podcast talking him up as, uh, as an NBA player. We will see, but eventually you have to give him that chance. And this is, you know, the last year where you have him definitely at a reasonable price, although. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows about that? Um, um, so, so Stackhouse, yeah, Stackhouse has said some shit this week, man. <laughs> um, that, by the way, uh, yeah, go listen to Jerry Stackhouse on the Zach Lowe podcast. Um, that was awesome. It was great. Stack's great. Uh, he also said on the NBA TV broadcast that Pascal Siakam is the team's best defender, which um, Siakam has some nice defensive potential. That's a little premature. Uh, Bruno being an NBA player, he said Brady Hessop's a better shooter than Steph Curry. Um, so he said he'll take, he'll take, I don't know if he said he was a better shooter. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, uh, sorry. He, he kind of did. He said he, he said he would definitely be intrigued in a, you know, a, a non-covered match between, uh, just, you know, around the world or whatever it would be between Brady and, and Curry. Speaking of best Canadian shooters not in the NBA, um, I caught up with Carl English the other day. Uh, because Rap- Mal- Malcolm Miller, the Raptors' two-way contract signing, um, who has a sprained ankle and isn't playing here in Vegas, played with Carl English last year in Berlin. Um, so I was yeah. talking to Carl English. He has shot 45% basically for his career on threes, Carl English. And, and he gets to live in Berlin now, which is among the greatest cities in the world. Yes, he's uh, he's in Newfoundland for the offseason right now, where I'm headed uh, the second I'm done in Vegas this week. Yep, The Rock. The Rock, yeah, off to Bell Island. Um, lovely, lovely Bell Island. So happy to be going. So what did what did uh, not to to um, take any to to scoop you or to ruin your story, but in general, what did Carl English have to say about uh, Miller? Uh, well, first of all, I asked, so Malcolm Miller for anyone who doesn't know, and I'm gonna I, I'll have something in the next week or two on Malcolm Miller, Alfonso McKinney. Kennedy Meeks, the three guys who the Raptors have signed who are, you know, Miller's on a two-way deal, Meeks is on an Exhibit 10, uh, McKinney's on a, a proper contract with a small guarantee. Um, I'll have stuff on all these guys um, in the next little bit. But, yeah, with Malcolm Miller, uh, he he's a big body. He has a, a decent handle for a combo forward. He can really shoot the ball, and he's an unbelievable shot blocker from the forward positions. Um, I was talking to, in talking to Carl about him. Uh, what he said was um, – you know, first of all, the maturity for a young guy like that, his first year overseas, and I guess Miller was in and out of the lineup a little bit, um, which a lot of European coaches do with their American imports, apparently. Um, but yeah, apparently the maturity and the attitude he took in that tough situation was really strong. And then um, English said that the amount he improved from the start of the year to the end of the year, uh, which, yeah, he's 23-24, he should be improving, uh, but it's notable to do that in season. Um, I asked Carl English if Miller, who is a, like close to a 40% three-point shooter, had beaten him in a shooting competition at any point, and, and English laughed, and he said, based, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, look, at this age, I'm not going to challenge him to a dunk contest, but he shouldn't challenge me to a shooting contest. 
uh, one of one of the most interesting and you know solid non MBA Canadian careers of all time, Carl Carl English. Seriously, can't can't wait to literally write the book on Carl English when he's done. Um, yeah. Speaking of pub- speaking of Canadian sure. basketball, by the way, um, the under nineteen FIBA gold medal was awesome, and I feel like we should just mention it for that one quick second. Uh, we should probably. I mean, we don't need to get into it, but that is one of the bigger moments in Canadian basketball history. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Roy Rana, who, you know, I'm fascinated to see where his coaching career goes. Um, you know, he's he's at Ryerson. He's been on summer league coaching staffs before. You know, it, it seems like this guy has all the hallmarks of, like, a G League coach or somebody, some team should take a shot at him because he seems like you know, everywhere he's gone, he's he's helped improve. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and his assistant on that coaching staff um, is the the coach at New Mexico. Um, so like he, the guys, are, and then Scott Morrison, who's an assistant coach on the the national team under Jay Triano, um, is now moving from the main Red Claws uh, head coaching position to the Boston Celtics bench under Brad Stevens. So um, yeah, you see these other guys in, in Canada. You know, we all talk about the explosion of basketball players. The coaching is coming up, too. And Roy, you know, maybe he likes being at Ryerson and coaching the, the junior national. Like, maybe that's his lane and he really enjoys it. Um, he's coaching who the, wanted, he's coaching the like world team at the Nike Hoop Summit, uh, which is a big deal. Maybe he likes that lane. But, yeah, you'd think at this point the amount of success he's had across multiple levels, um, you know, someone – I'm sure there are a lot of places, whether it's, uh, you know, college programs or – D-League teams or even NBA benches who who would love to line them up. Yeah, it's just, first of all, you know, coaches and players from Canada coming along at the same time. That's not a coincidence, you know? Like it's... Yeah, one hand kind of washes the other there, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, anyway, we don't... Props to Roy Rana, Roy Rana, the whole coaching staff. Rowan Barrett Jr. was obviously awesome. RJ Barrett, I guess, is uh, how he prefers to be known as. Um, and uh, that's just a remarkable accomplishment for that team. <laughs> the the R.J. Barrett thing, like I know that Rowan Barrett is is a name that's only really known in Canadian basketball circles, longtime national team player. Um, he runs the, the program with Steve Nash at the senior men's level. Uh, but it always reminds me, when he goes by R.J. instead of Rowan Barrett Jr., it always reminds me of the fact that LeBron James Jr., decided not to wear his dad's number because he didn't want people to associate him with his father, but his name is <laughs> LeBron James Jr. Yeah, it might be uh it might be difficult to outrun that shadow. <laughs> um but yeah, there there we go. That's the the future matchup. Roan Bear Jr. and LeBron James Jr. head to head. Um anyway, that was great. Uh Eric, did you want to know anything is there anything you're curious about from Summer League? I'm uh, here, so I can I pass some know. stuff along if you care. Uh, is Fred Van Vliet still grinding? Yeah, he's he's been great, man. Um, like the the amount that that team. How have the roster players been? Like uh, people probably want to know that if they haven't seen it. It's been really encouraging. Like Pascal Siakam has been among the best dozen players in summer league. Maybe even a, a smaller list than that. Um, his ball skill has improved dramatically. He basically, he looks like a wing 
with the ball in his hands now. He's added some nice crossover moves. He had a nice behind-the-back driving the other day. Um, some nice uh, kickouts when he drives baseline. Um, and he's, I think, 4 of 8 from the three-point line in the tournament so far. Um, still a lot to work on, and obviously all the summer caveats apply with the, the guys he's going against and stuff like that. Um, but he's been... You know, with a couple short stint exceptions where Fred was the, Fred Van Bleet was the best player on the floor, Siakam spent his entire tournament being the best player on the floor. So um, that's what you look for from, uh, you know, your second year guys in this environment. Pirtle has struggled a little bit defensively uh, because a lot of the, the, the interesting thing in Summer League is that a lot of the talent here isn't NBA level, but a lot of, like, a lot of the guys who are coming in and aren't just undrafted free agents, like, there's a lot of, like, 26, 25, 27-year-old dudes who are, like, fully grown men at this point. Um, so, you know, Jakob Pertl's in the post going against, like, Keith Benson or Henry Sims, these guys who have serious weight against, weight against them. Um, and Pertl has, he hasn't had the best tournament defensively. Offensively, he's been nice. So he has a double-double in every game. Uh, his finishing around the rim looks much improved. And he even took a three. He missed the corner three, but um, he took one, so that's good. And then Fred Van Vliet is, like, this guy came out of the womb being, like, a steady backup NBA point guard. Like, I don't I don't know if he's, like, at the point yet where he's he would be, like, a good NBA point guard, backup point guard, if he jumped the lawn, say. Um, but he's probably the second or third best shooter on the Raptors roster after Lowry and maybe C.J. Miles. Um, and the team trusts him so much, too. You have all these disparate parts who have never played together before even Siakam and Pirtle who have a great relationship and a great chemistry have played like barely any actual minutes together because Siakam was hurt last year at summer league they weren't in the NBA rotation at the same time uh, and then Pirtle only played one D league game so um, yeah Van Vliet's done a really nice job running things the Raptors went 3-0 and in the first round um, they finished with the number one seed for the second year in a row by way of the weird summer league tiebreaker um, they're in a good spot Raptors, what I take from that is Raptors lottery pick center is having defensive troubles. Yeah, I mean, it's not, like, he's not, <laughs> he's not bad. The thing with Pirtle is that so much of what he I'm did well last year. Trolling. Pardon? But continue. I'm trolling just a little bit, but continue. Yeah, but it's, like, it's trolling, but it, different people look at Summer League different ways. Some people look at it as you want to see only the positives, and you want to see what guys are getting better at, and any weaknesses, it's just like, okay, well, that informs the rest of their offseason. Other people look at it as, you know, Jakob Pertl is a lottery pick and a sophomore. He should be dominating here, so it's the weaknesses that matter more. Um, you know, the reality yeah. falls somewhere in between and I don't think anyone in the organization would tell you differently that working on his, his strength and his uh, overall conditioning was the main focus for Pirtle this offseason. So um, it's not all that surprising. And he hasn't been bad defensively. It's just in the post against these bigger guys, which is uh, an area he struggled a little bit last year. Um, it's still a work in progress. So uh, the finishing improvement yeah. for Pirtle, though, is a big thing because he missed a couple bunnies last year. Um, he's he's shown a, a, like more willingness to get into the contact to finish and he's had a couple nice feathery touches in close yeah he's got soft hands he's got a nice touch um it's good it's good to see that develop but you, you know you know who has soft <laughs> hands kennedy meeks who? man kennedy meeks has the niftiest mittens uh, it's weird i really wish he went i wish i wish he went by ken meeks this is my thing where i wish like james harden went by jim harden like, cause it's, it's always funnier the other way, but it's, it just, it, Ken Meeks, it sounds like a, 
I don't know, like a golfer or something. Yeah, anyway. I, was, I was thinking maybe accountant. I'm, so maybe I'm just thinking of Bob Weeks, TSN golf analyst, and it, it's it's for some reason. Anyway, I have this no earthly idea who that is. This has gone down a weird rabbit hole yes. that we don't need to further uh, continue. But it is nice that somebody the Raptors are taking an extended look at is uh, showing promising signs. Uh, One you know, more... the, the, cliche with the, the cliche with Summer League is that it shows you who, who can't play, not who can. Exactly. But as you I think that's a bit overstated. Um, and uh, you take what you want from it, and the truth comes out a bit later. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, in terms of showing you who can't play, um, there have been a lot of guys who looked bad in Summer League and went on to good NBA careers. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's like like I said, there's there's gray area, but, you know, take from it what you want, like you said. Um, the one other note from Summer League, not on the Summer League roster, and I didn't know, I'm not going to write a piece just on this, and I didn't know where to put it in any other piece, so I'll say it here. Lucas Noguera looks incredible. He's down 12 pounds and down to 5% body fat. Like me. Sure. <laughs> That's uh, good to hear. Uh, he obviously fell out of the rotation last year. Um, not altogether convinced he should have, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but he still, you know, he still intrigues me. He still has that length and has that passing ability and, you know, is the best corner three-pointer shooter on the team, according to him. So uh, uh, I wonder if that holds true in his opinion with C.J. Miles here. Yeah, that'll be interesting to uh, – I'll have to talk to him about it. He's gone now. Um, but, yeah, um, so I just thought people would be interested to know that, you know, Noguera is a guy who hasn't – I, I don't think people from the outside see him as a guy with a – enormous work ethic but he's uh he looks great he's going hard and he's talked a lot about that like the possible misconceptions there are about him because of his personality and just how he carries himself and uh look some you know stubborn angry people don't have great work ethics and some light-hearted you know jovial types can also work hard like these things aren't (laughs) Mutually exclusive. All right. Um, um, Eric, let's shut this down because uh, we've been going a while now. Do you have any parting shots, anything free agency related, summer league related, um, you know, summer in general related? Uh, I don't know. All I can focus is on is my cat still not in my apartment, and now Rownich is down a set and two breaks. Uh-oh. Uh, So it's been raining a lot this summer uh, in Toronto. Um, this is getting dark. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, I don't know. We're both inclined in this direction. You should, you should have, you should have known better than to ask me an open-ended question at the end of a podcast. But we do. I'm putting this. I, I know. Yeah, but I, I was not prepared. Okay. Uh, I, I guess. Um, I think, and, and this is what I thought last week. And like, and it's funny. Like, I asked. I'll try to keep this quick because we're we're long. But I I asked Masai Jerry at the Lowry Ibaka press conference, do you think the buyout or the you know the market that sort of brought apart upon the um, the Damari Carroll trade would be quick to develop? And he said, you know, he he didn't think so, and I don't think he was lying to me. <laughs> so 
See, uh, what's funny is so, I asked them. I, I, I asked them the other day. I said, were you lying to Eric? And he like, oh, yeah, I lie to Eric all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. So I thought it would be slow then, and I think it will sort of slow down now too, but uh, be prepared for me to be wrong, which is what I have tattooed on my lower back. Be prepared for me to be wrong? Yes. That's a weird tattoo and a weird spot for it. <laughs> That's why I said it, Blake. Oh, boy. All right, Eric. Um, we will talk to you sometime in the future. We might take next week off. Um, cause I've got some personal stuff on the go early next week and nothing may have happened between now and then. So, um, we'll talk or to you. Everything happened. Yeah. We'll talk to you when we talk to you. We won't go too long at any point this off season without touching base stuff. Uh, Eric, thanks so much and good luck finding your cat. Yeah. Thank you. Talk to you later, Blake. Enjoy Vegas. If only to be a reasonable man.